You're listening to The Alligator Podcast, a podcast where the independent Florida alligator, the largest student newspaper in the country, discusses our latest stories on the University of Florida, Gainesville, and beyond. Subscribe and tune in weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud to hear our latest episodes on news, sports, and much more. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org. Hello and welcome to the Alligator Podcast. This is the sports section of the podcast. I am your host, Graham Marsh, and today I am joined by the summer sports editor, Brendan Farrell. Brendan, how are you doing today? Doing all right. How are you? Um, not too bad. Um, so uh, before we get into anything, uh, go ahead and explain who you are, uh, how long you've been at the Alligator, give us your Twitter handle, um, all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, so again, my name is Brendan Farrell. I'm currently the sports editor for the summer. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at bfarrell727. I've been at the Alligator since the summer of 2018, pretty much. So covered pretty much, pretty much everything. You know, um, like I covered softball, and uh, I just got done with men's basketball this spring. You know, I did a little bit of golf and tennis as well. So, yeah. And you will be uh, you'll be doing football in the fall, correct? Yeah, that's gotcha. correct. So, um, speaking of football, uh, our story that we talk about today is going to be about football. But before we get into that, um, we want to talk about what that story, the series that it's part of, um, because over in the sports section, y'all are doing a what if series so go ahead and explain what that's all about yeah so basically uh we're doing a series of i mean what ifs it's kind of self-explanatory a little bit but basically every day we're posing a question of you know what if such and such happened and we're you know hitting up a bunch of different sports like our first one was you know what if kelly barnhill didn't give up a home run the top of the 17th inning of the first game of the women's college world series in 2017. So, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So the, the what if series is, um, strictly Gator sports, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, there's been a couple of, uh, stories so far. How many stories exactly have gone out so far in this series? I think four. And how many do you plan on dropping? We're going to keep going until we feel like stop. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're going to at least do one for all of our writers. So that's seven, but I'm sure that we'll come up with a few more. Right. Cause I mean, that's, you know, as of now, without really any live sports to talk about, this is kind of the time to do these kinds of stories and kind of look back and um, see things that happened and how, how big of a change um, Florida sports suffered or enjoyed because of said things that happened right um mm -hmm. so one of those biggest ones uh is a what if that you wrote what if in 2015 florida football had hired dan mullen the current head coach instead of jim McElwain? um so that's the story we're going to get into today um i have read the story but for Many of our listeners who have not, go ahead and just give a very um, general description 
of what you wrote about and what inspired you to talk about this particular what if? Yeah, so basically, you know, I wrote about, you know, what if the Gators hired Dan Mullen instead of Jim McElwain? Because uh, in retrospect, I really feel like McElwain really wasted the defense that Muschamp left behind. So my thought was basically that I feel like Mullen could come in day one and at least have like a pretty competent offense, you know? And so I think that if they actually had a competent offense, instead of just getting throttled by any actually good team that they faced in those years that, uh, you know, they would have at least played, you know, Alabama close or whatever. Yeah, because, I mean, you look back and those teams had offensive talent. They just weren't well coached. I mean, yeah, because you know, that team at the time was going to have Will Greer quarterback. Um, Demarcus Robinson was still there. Kelvin Taylor was there. Matt Jones was there. Um, you had a couple offensive linemen that ended up in the NFL. Um, Jake McGee was still there at tight end. Uh, you had all kinds of talent on offense, but it never really in the Muschamp era seemed to solidify like it did on defense. And it's it's kind of weird when you look back because Muschamp always had a top, top recruiting class at Florida. He was always right up there, neck and neck with the Alabamas and the Clemsons. And even Clemson at the time wasn't recruiting like they are right now, but but when you looked at those top five recruiting rankings every single year, you saw that Gator logo right up there with the two four sevens and the rival sites. Um, and and yeah, you're, you're right. You know, Muschamp's teams never had issues on defense. They always had some of the, the – I mean, there were times where basically the entire defense ended up in the NFL. Um, but obviously the offense didn't work out that way, despite still recruiting pretty well on that side of the ball. And, you know, personally, I've always said that Muschamp's biggest flaw at Florida was that he was never able to hire a really, really solid offensive coordinator because his cup of tea was on the defensive side. So while he's getting these these offensive he's getting this great offensive talent there's nobody that's going to put it together you know charlie weiss was a flop and pretty much everyone he hired ended up being a flop um so then obviously this gets to where your story was about insert jim McElwain. jeremy foley's looking for an offensive guy and McElwain was an offensive guy at the time and he had been pretty good as the offensive coordinator at alabama um, and then was pretty good as the head coach at Colorado State. Um, but, you know, as you wrote about, you had Dan Mullen sitting there at Mississippi State. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting to think, do you think that, like, at the time, Mullen would have left Mississippi State for Florida? That's really tough because you got to remember that 2014 was – the year that Mississippi State went all the way to number one in the AP poll. Yep. I think the, uh, the whatever, the CFP poll. But uh, yeah, it's a tough question, but I, I still think he might have. I think it was pretty obvious in 2017 that 
you know, he wanted to come back here if he was given the opportunity. And I think one of the problems was that um, I don't think Foley ever gave him the opportunity to come back to Gainesville in 2014. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a little tough because clearly like Mississippi state was in a pretty good spot and uh, you know, he still had Dak Prescott there as opposed to at Florida where he would have stepped into a quarterback room with Treon Harris and, you know, a young, really young Will Greer. So, but I think that with both his experience at Florida and just the, I mean, let's be real here, the money that they could have offered him at the time, I think that it was definitely possible. Yeah, because, I mean, as good as your roster might be at Mississippi State and as good as you think that year's team might be, like, if you're at Mississippi State and Florida calls, it's going to be really, really hard to say no, no matter what, right? Because you're talking, like you just mentioned, you're talking money, you're talking um, tradition, and you're talking a recruiting hotbed. Those are three things that Mississippi State is not going to have relative to Florida at all. So in the long term, it's obviously the better job. Um, but but I, I do think it's interesting because it also would have been really hard to, you know, just leave Dak Prescott when you had him at the time. Even though you would have had Will Greer, you you would have had to leave Dak Prescott, and that would have been really, really tough. You said something really interesting later on in this article, and I think it's really funny. Um, it talks about the Jim McElwain era. And it says the SEC East during this time was about as tough as wet cardboard with Butch Jones at Tennessee in the last year of Mark Rick at Georgia before the Bulldogs had to rebuild under Kirby Smart. With an offense that could actually consistently put points on the board, the Gators still win the division in both 2015 and 2016 before facing off against Alabama. I'm not saying the Florida would have beaten Alabama, but it definitely would not have been throttled by both years by a combined score of 85-31. to 31. Keep in mind that UF only lost by 14 in 2015 when it was outgained by over 250 yards. So uh, expand on that a little bit because, like, I mean, that's that's insane. Like, <laughs> to pretty much roll through the East, even though McElwain was your coach, even though there was, you know, like you said, tough as wet cardboard. There's nothing in the East that time. You get to roll to Atlanta and – if you can even make it competitive against Alabama, you might have a completely different story. And you obviously seem to believe that they may not have beaten those Alabama teams, but it would be a lot more competitive, right? Yeah. I mean, the general premise is that you take a team that at the time was coached by, you know, an offensive coach that didn't have a good offense. Right. So you have basically the same team, but with a much better head coach and thus a better offense. It makes sense to me, therefore, that they would still win the division and then they would still face Alabama. And I'm not going to say that Florida would have beaten an Alabama team that ended up winning the national championship that year. But I do think that you have to at least admit that it would have been a pretty decent game because I mean, Florida kind of hung with them when their offense was basically non-existent. So if you add an actually like functioning offense to that team, 
that's obviously going to be a much more competitive game. Right, especially when you consider that in 2015, that, that first SEC championship, the final score was 29-15. to 15. So Florida only had two touchdowns, and one of them was a punt return from yeah. Antonio Callaway. So yeah. you're not exactly talking – you're not exactly talking um, a lot of yards on offense. Trayon Harris that game was 9 of 24 for 165 yards. One touchdown, which came in garbage time in the fourth quarter, and one interception. Kelvin Taylor, he, listen to this real quick. Kelvin Taylor in that game, seven carries, eight yards. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's unbelievable. Like, how, how do you have seven carries for eight yards? Well, that was sort of something that I touched on in the piece as well, was that by most of the accounts that I've read, like the strength and conditioning staff when McElwain was there was really bad. Oh, it was horrible. Uh, you, you know, I remember I remember it being talked about that guys w- were seeking outside help to to condition themselves because they didn't feel like the team strength and conditioning was adequate enough to get them ready to go right and so you obviously can't have that and still think that you can beat alabama so when you're talking about being able to run the ball yeah i guess it kind of makes sense that calvin taylor couldn't find any room to run because they were just getting demolished at the line of scrimmage right and you also talk about the fact that you know Trayon harris it's kind of interesting because i remember that season you know, obviously all the Will Greer drama happens, right? You know, that team is rolling, 7-0. and And then all of a sudden, all the stuff with PEDs comes out with Will Greer, and he ends up getting suspended for the year. He's gone. So Trayon Harris comes in. First couple games, it seems like, oh, it's not that bad. But I remember throughout that season, Trayon Harris and the offense got worse and worse and worse and worse as the year went on. If, I don't know if you recall, but that the uh, the FAU game. At oh home, yeah, yeah. That game was a nail biter. Yeah. Against FAU. Should, yeah, that was that, one thing that I also said is that like they would yeah. definitely would not have needed, you know, overtime to beat FAU that year or whatever. Right, and um, then you know you fast forward to the SEC championship game again. This is the game where Trayon Harris threw two passes in one play. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, the, just the, the wonders of having Treon Harris at quarterback. But so, one of the things that I pointed out, though, is that I at least would think that Dan Mullen would have done a better job of preparing his backup quarterback. I oh, mean, absolutely. we saw that happen with Kyle Trask this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, then and we're talking about a guy in Kyle Trask who is probably not the model quarterback that you know, Mullen wants for his system, but he still made it work, you yeah. know, and you also look at what uh, Kentucky did this year with Lynn Bowden as their sort of wildcat quarterback for much of the season. Yeah. And good coaches consider- find ways to get results out of, you know, suboptimal uh, rosters, you know, exactly. And, and then you consider the fact that Treyon Harris, because you just said something really interesting. You just said, look at Kyle Trask this year as the backup. Um, not really ideal for the kind of system Mullen wants to run. Well, Trayon Harris would have been, right? 
Treyon Harris could have fit what Mullen likes to do super well because Treyon Harris was pretty athletic and had a decent arm, just was not coached well and didn't make good decisions, but had wheels and had a decent arm. Like, like you can't tell me that Mullen wouldn't have made something with that, especially against against Alabama in an SEC championship game. Like, he, he would have thrown more than one touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that, like, he would have been a phenomenal player. Like, you know, he ended up at Tennessee State and then turning into a wide receiver for a reason. Right. But I at least think that they could have done a much better job of being able to move the ball down the field with a guy like Mullen, who's obviously a very good offensive coach. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, so... That said, because we just talked about the 2015 game, um, let's look at the 2016 game, right? So this year, um, Kelvin Taylor's gone. You got Jordan Scarlett carrying the load at, at running back. So you think, okay, you know, seven carries, eight yards, that's pretty That's pretty bad. Like, it's got to get better than that, right? Well, Jordan yeah, Scarlett sure. had 11 carries in 2016 for 17 yards. <laughs> so it's like how does that happen like how especially when jordan scarlet is considered by most people a a bruising style running back you know like he's jordan scarlet's a guy that can break tackles and bounce off people and keep moving and even with that ability 11 carries 17 yards Hey, it was kind of a kind of a decent day for Austin Appleby, though. Right, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Granted, most of that's in garbage time, but right, and and well, you you think about uh, the the first drive of the game, Florida went down, and scored, and took a seven zero lead, where Austin Appleby threw a, a slant touchdown to Antonio Callaway. So he starts the game out early, early on, on a scripted drive that works to perfection with a touchdown. So he's got one touchdown, zero picks. And then what happens after that? One yeah, touchdown, you gotta, three picks. Uh, you got to love all of the adjustments McElwain made during the game on offense there. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, of course, the the genius that was Doug Nussmeyer. Running, running the off, and and it's kind of interesting, you know, just to bring that up really quick. So, like, I remember all the complaints back then about Doug Nussmeyer, and and I'm sure you remember this too. It was a really hot topic of of should McElwain strip play calling duties of Nussmeyer and have himself call the plays, and that was a pretty popular request at the time among Gator fans. Um, and now you look forward and you look at Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen calls his own plays. He is the offensive coordinator. So you, you have to think the play calling in certain situations would have been much better, and there's no way. Even as bad as the offensive line was this year for the Gators, there's no way in that game you have your main running back go 11 carries for 17 yards. Yeah. But then again, also like even this past year, 
they made adjustments when they just sort of realized, hey, running the ball just isn't going to work that much. So they turned and adjusted the game plan to suit the rest of the offense. They had a bunch of really good receivers and a phenomenal tight end in Kyle Pitts, and they took advantage of that. Right, exactly. So you're you're looking at because because you think at that point, like let me just get your your quick take on this. Let let's say let's play this hypothetical that Mullen in 2016 is the coach, right? He's got the exact same team. Okay. Luke Del Rio's hurt, so Antonio so uh, Antonio so uh, Austin Appleby is your quarterback, um, and Scarlett Jordan Scarlett is your main running back, right? Is there any way? that in that game, Jordan Scarlett ends up carrying the ball 11 times? Or do you think he carries it about three or four, and then Mullen's like, okay, we got to figure something out? Well, I still think he ends up, like, over the course of the game, I still think he ends up carrying the ball 11 times. Whether or not they go for 17 yards, that's another question. Because you think that maybe it would be he's calling different running plays, having a different blocking scheme, figuring something else out? Yeah, basically everything you just said. Yeah. Um. So an interesting, an interesting part of this is kind of like what what we've been talking about. Um, the main issue is Muschamp gets fired, and at that current time, you say, "Dang, Florida's got an incredible offense." All right, sorry, an incredible defense. If they can just be competent on offense, something's gonna get rolling. So and, and we've already kind of said all this and repeated all this, but um, it's really interesting. You look at Jim McElwain. He comes in, even the first couple games at Florida, granted they're not playing anybody, but it looks pretty good against like New Mexico State. They, you know, they ran up the score and everyone's like, oh my goodness, you know, Florida offense is back, whatever. Well, in McElwain's three years, granted he didn't finish the 2017 season because he was hired, he was fired midseason after the Georgia game, after losing 42-7 to in that game. Um, but you talk about 2015, 2016, and 2017, the three years that Jim McElwain was the coach. Florida averaged 23.2, 23.9, and then 21.3 points per game in those three years. That ranks 100th, 107th, and 109th. So... You're talking about what most people consider a borderline blue blood in college football is in triple digits in offensive rank with an offensive coach. Yeah, so here, here's something for you. To me, this stat like blew my mind when I was reading up on it, but UF was undefeated under Jim McElwain when their opponents scored 14 or fewer, but just 5-12 and 12 when it did not. That's crazy. 14 Five points, and you're, not even at, you're not even at three touchdowns. Yeah, that, that shouldn't be possible at a school like Florida. And, and you look at things like they, even in 2015, like the, the good year of the McElwain era, they scored two points against Florida State at home. Mm -hmm. They scored nine points against Vanderbilt at home. They needed overtime to score 20 against FAU at home before getting, you know, totally cooked by Alabama and then Michigan in Orlando, which is pretty much at home. Yep. And 
you know what's interesting too is so you you look you look at all those numbers and you look at again two points against Florida against Florida State nine against Vanderbilt overtime FAU um but uh, like going back to something we've been talking about why was Will Muschamp fired lack of offense right right in 2014 Will Muschamp's last season Florida averaged 30 points a game you're averaging almost a touchdown more with a coach that was fired because he can't fix an offense and he's a defensive coach. And then you come in and bring an offensive guy that ends up averaging seven points less per game. Yeah, I, you, could, you could definitely argue that their, um, sorry, McIlwain's offenses were somehow even worse. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Bill Connolly's S&P or I guess now it's SP+. Basically, it's kind of like Ken Palm, but for football, it's basically just another way to measure efficiency. Yeah. Florida was 62nd in, in offensive efficiency in 2014, the last year of the Muschamp era. Yeah. They went down to, I think, 81 in the first year of the McElwain era. And that shouldn't be even possible no, at, at Florida. With the amount of talent and the resources you have, Like that shouldn't be possible. Especially when you consider that Muschamp, like, like obviously Muschamp needed to be better offensively, but he's a defensive coach, so it makes sense. But how does that happen to an offensive coach? Like, how is that even a thing? Right, and then I think another thing I wanted to touch up on was, I think one of the big problems with Magdalene was, aside from the actual coaching, was roster management, primarily the quarterback position. I mean, how many quarterbacks did McElwain go through? Right. And, um, you know, I've said this, especially since Mullen has been at Florida, but I even said it while McElwain was at Florida. I One of my complaints that I always had about McElwain was I felt that, you know, it really wasn't an issue in the first year because Will Greer was so solid until – until Wilger got suspended, and then pretty much your only option at that point was was Trayon, right? But but starting the next season, um, when Luke Del Rio came in and became the guy, and then he gets hurt, Austin Appleby comes in. Um, that year was kind of weird as well. But then you look at his last year, um, his last year with Malik Zaire and Felipe Franks, and then uh, a sprinkle of Luke Del Rio for the Kentucky game. I felt in that season that he, for whatever reason, would not take a quarterback and stick with them. Right? If you remember that, literally in the first game, Felipe Franks starts against Michigan, opening game in 2017, and by the third quarter, he's benched for Malik Zaire. And, you know, sometimes it does make sense to bench a quarterback if it's really, really bad. But you're, you're, you're talking about a guy, and this is his first start ever. And it's like he's never going to get better if you just keep swapping them out. And every time they make a mistake, they get benched. Like, you can't do that. And then you look at, you look at Mullen and look at, look at Felipe Franks under Mullen. In 2018, it got pretty bad. 
and Mullen stuck with him, stuck with him, stuck with him, and then it gets a little better, a little better, a little better. By the end of 2018, Felipe Franks is considered one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. And the same thing with Kyle Trask this year. Plenty of people have called for Emory Jones to come in when Kyle doesn't you know, doesn't fully fit what Mullen wants to do because he's not quite fast enough. He can't really quite run. And, you know, it, it kind of almost feels like there's this added element of a Dan Mullen offense that can't be tapped into because of Kyle Trask's immobility. Sticks with him. And you know what happens? Ten games that you win and a New Year's Six Bowl. And McIlwain was never able to do that. And that's a big issue that I thought he always had. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, it, re- it really contributes to a lack of offensive production ever coming to fruition. Yeah, I think one of the big things is that, you know, I, I think about the quarterbacks that McElwain recruited, and I think he only signed three. It was Felipe, Trask, and um, Jake Allen. Yep. Who I – would not blame if you completely forgot about Jake Allen. No, I remember but, Jake Allen from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, but uh, but McElwain and Mullen, you know, because of the differences in their schemes, like they're not going to be recruiting the same quarterbacks. No, not but at all. The fact that Mullen was able to come in, take two quarterbacks that McElwain recruited, and do significantly better with them, really yeah, just kind of like, tells you in how argument, much of a difference there is. Like numerically, um, eye test, confidence, like there, there is no argument that Mullen does way better with him. And, and you know, it probably, we probably should have looked back at 2014 and, or 2015, sorry, and thought it was pretty obvious because you're looking at Dak Prescott and he's balling for Mississippi State. And then it's like, who's taking the snaps for the Gators? Yeah, and really, honestly, like the first like sign of things to come under McIlwain should have been just the sheer number of close games they won, regardless of who they were against. Like McIlwain's record in like one possession games early on in like 2015 and 2016, and then I guess early in 2017, were really, really good. And you can kind of like sell yourself on the idea of, well, maybe he just coaches better in these closer games, maybe his teams are just more clutch than others. And then the losses just keep coming because you can't play that many close games and expect to be that good. Right. Cause eventually, I mean, that luck is going to run out. Right. Like, exactly. And you know, I remember like, uh, we kind of talked about very briefly the Kentucky game in 2017 that Florida ended up winning by one point. Florida had no business winning that game. Do you remember that, that Kentucky game? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that game. Like Florida went, ends up winning by one point. Kentucky is clearly in field goal range to kick an easy gimme field goal to win the game. And a Kentucky offensive lineman pretty much loses his mind and gets a holding call and ends up making the kick a lot deeper than it should have been. Kentucky misses the field goal and that's the game. And, you know, like you were saying, it's like, I think that was kind of a red flag to some Florida fans. But, you know, in some ways it's hard to to acknowledge it's a red flag because you're like, look, a win is a win. 
but then yeah. you play Mac teams that are halfway like, decent and you get killed. Yeah, McAvoy would be to me like the most surprised coach or like the least confident coach after his teams won a game. Oh yeah, I yeah I I vividly remember that every every time every time the game was over it was way more of a sigh of relief than it was like a uh, proud of my guys kind of moment. And he was yeah, always and, that way. You know, you can sort of say that this year's, or I guess last year's Florida-Kentucky game was pretty much the same thing where they go on the road and they need the pack of quarterback to come in and, uh, you know, come back and win the game because of a missed Kentucky field goal. Mm-hmm. But at least in that one, Florida outgained Kentucky that night. Yeah. You know, they were more in that game than they were in 2017. Right. Um, so another interesting aspect of this, cause we, we've kind of, we've kind of hinted on this already. Um, we've talked a bunch about the offense or lack thereof during McElwain's tenure. And, it, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like, okay, like how, cause you, in your mind, you're thinking like, how in the world could the offense have gotten worse from Will Muschamp? And to me, there's really only one possible answer, and that's recruiting. Because Muschamp never really got a good offensive coordinator and never really put together a system that was going to work on the offensive side of the ball. But he had talent. And early on on offense, McIlwain mm-hmm. did have talent, what he inherited from the Muschamp teams. But it got worse and worse because he wasn't filling that with any recruiting at all. So, like, you look at, okay, 2012. That's 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 Will Muschamp's first year at Florida. You, you, you know, you want to take a guess where Florida ranked in the two four seven recruiting? Yeah, I'll just let you fill me in on that one. Three in twenty twelve, they they ranked third, right? Yeah, that's that's Muschamp's first year. Okay, his second year. You want to guess where they ranked that year? Uh, we'll go with four. Three. Okay. Three again. So top three, his first two years. And then his last year, 2014, which can keep in mind, they haven't been very good this past year, still in the top 10 at number nine. And then 2015, insert Jim McElwain, and you got to get all the way down to number 21 to find the Gators and Jim McElwain's first full recruiting cycle. And then you think, okay, well, you know, it's his first year. He's a first-year coach. He makes the SEC Championship. Let's see where he ends up the next year. Well, the next year, a little bit better, number 12, just outside the top 10. But still, you know, not much compared to number three recruiting classes. And then you get to number 11 in 2017. So not that 12 and 11 are that bad, but if you're having all the problems that you've been having and your strength and conditioning program is no good and you're playing teams like Alabama that are always going to be number one or two, it's just got to be better than that. And yeah, absolutely. Recruiting was always an issue with McElwain. And, you know, you think about it, like the same coach that had an issue having a good enough strength and conditioning program can't be much of a surprise that they had an issue with recruiting at all. Exactly. So, you know, we, we've already hit a bunch of different stuff, and, and that's pretty much the gist of 
what if um, Florida hired Mullen instead of McIlwain? So I kind of want to leave off with this, Brendan. Um, we we said everything around what if, but give me like a concrete what if prediction had Dan Mullen become the coach in 2015 instead of Jim McIlwain. Maybe a prediction of like that season, where does Florida finish up and where is that program right now? Yeah, so my guess is that 2015, they win the division, they go to Atlanta. I think they still lose to Alabama. I, I just don't see them beating Alabama with Creon Harris at quarterback. And Derek Henry on the side running the ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But and I still think they probably still lose to Alabama in 2016. But you got to remember that after that, though, Mullen would have had two more classes. Yep. At that point, like his players, his guys would have replaced Muschamps at that point. Yeah. But to me, I think that's like in a good way, especially on offense, where he has the pieces that he wants. You know. I think he starts bringing in, you know, the, you know, the dual threat quarterbacks instead of, you know, McIlwain's pro style guys and, you know, all that, all the pieces actually fit his offenses and stuff. So, you know, instead of, or instead of falling off in 2017, I think you get a really interesting battle between Florida and Georgia, you know, Georgia goes on and, or, you know, in our timeline, you know, Georgia ends up in the playoffs that year. But I think you have an interesting battle in Jacksonville that year. And I think that moving forward, Florida would have had a lot more momentum instead of basically having to break everything down and build it back up again starting in 2018. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida had threatened for the playoffs somewhere between 2015 and 2017, if not, you know, even further down the road. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, before we uh, part ways here, do you have anything else that you would like to add talking about this story, talking about the series itself, talking about um, alligator sports over the summer? Uh, not really. Just, you know, follow us on Twitter at alligator sports. And we have, uh, we basically pinned it on our Twitter account. And also it's like the top thing on the sports page. So you can find the series there. We made a thread of everything and we'll continue to update that stuff as we post them. Sounds good. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, I am joined here by Brendan Farrell. Brendan, go ahead and uh, one more time, plug your Twitter. Um, tell us what you have covered and what you're going to continue to cover uh, for the alligator. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at bfarrell727. Um, you know, like I said in the past, I've covered stuff like softball, volleyball, uh, men's basketball, and, you know, this fall I'll be doing football. So uh, definitely follow me on Twitter for more football stuff. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, and we appreciate everybody who has been listening to this episode of the Alligator Podcast. Once again, this is the sports of the podcast i am your host graham marsh and we will see you guys next time thanks for listening to the alligator podcast be sure to subscribe leave a review and follow us on twitter at the alligator as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org